Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's a Thursday morning, December 16th. Hope everybody stayed safe last night after a really odd weather day in the state of Iowa. Uh, hope that nobody had any major damage or anything like that, especially our folks, our friends out in the western part of the state. Obviously a place that's uh, near and dear to Chris and I's hearts. And we know that you know things were pretty hairy over there for, uh, for quite a while. Hopefully everybody's uh, doing all right here today. I want to give a quick plug real quick. Next Wednesday night, December 23rd at 8 p.m. on all of the Cyclone Fanatics social media channels, you can watch an Iowa State Bowl preview show powered by Carl Chevrolet. Uh, tune into that. It'll be Chris and Brent will be hosting. They're going to have a bunch of guests. We did something like this, similar to this last year. You know, I think we had Coach Mack on. Uh, and who all was there? Todd Blythe, Brett Meyer. Uh, you know, the usual cast of characters, but I expect that Chris will have a similar lineup for it this year, uh, and they'll break down the cheese at full matchup with Clemson. That's next Wednesday, December 23rd at 8 p.m. on all of the Cyclone Fanatic social media channels, so make sure to tune into that. What's up, Scott Christofferson? What's going on, man? Go, doing well. Hope everybody is doing well and uh, stayed safe last night and didn't have any, you know, property damage or anything like that. It's crazy. Crazy to see. I mean, we had a little bit up here with the straight line winds, but nothing like what was going on down in, in Iowa and Nebraska. So sounds like right now, anyways, for the most part, everybody came out okay that I've talked to. So hopefully hoping for more good news for everybody else. Definitely, dude. Um, all right. So you texted me this morning uh, with an idea. You wanted to take some questions from fans. Uh, I put out opening up Pandora's box here. We go, here we go. That's I told you, I was like, man, I'm just, I'm going to warn you right now of what you're, uh, of what you're starting, but I'm shocked, honestly, because I put it out there on Twitter and I put it out on the, on the forums and it doesn't surprise me that I got, you know, like I got legitimate questions for the most part for everything from, uh, from Twitter. The folks on the forums are wild cards, dude. Like, I don't know what they're going to (laughs) bring to the table sometimes. So uh, I, I just, I didn't know what we were going to get from, from those people. And they gave us some really good questions too. For some reason you bring out the best in everybody and they ask like really serious questions and not the joke questions, which is this whole thing. I mean, I, I joined Twitter like three weeks ago, I've never done a podcast in my life. So, I mean, I'm, I, this is all new to me and just trying to have some fun with it. And I think it'd be, I never got to interact with, with fans like this. So when I was, I was actually watching a guy's podcast the other day who did this with fans for the team he covers. And I was like, Oh, like that would be really a fun way to just interact and kind of hear what's on cyclone fans mind. So I'm glad that it was uh, well received and looking forward to seeing what people are, are thinking about. Absolutely. Um, we'll kind of try and there, there's a handful of questions that it, I want to say to, I'm not ignoring them. Uh, they're just ones that we probably can't answer. Uh, there's a lot of questions about Georgetown transfer Trey King, who we all know he committed to Iowa State a couple weeks ago. Scott, you wrote about him when he when he committed. Uh, the waiver process and stuff like that. Like we we just don't have the answers that people are probably looking for in that scenario. Uh, it's not that we don't want to have the answers. Like we wondered all the same things that you guys are. It's just that we don't we don't have them. So it's hard for us to to answer any questions. Um, that are like those, but uh, I just want to say that right away. Cause there's a lot of those questions and I just, it, I'm, I'm not really even going to touch them because I just, I don't think that we can really bring anything to the conversation at this point. Um, all right. First one. Um, all right. This one comes from Simon Wilson on Twitter. He says, love this team. 
way better than anyone expected, so don't take this question the wrong way. Iowa State struggles getting the ball across half court, inbounding the ball, and then has some turnover issues as well. Any of these areas, are any of these areas that you expect to improve or will or likely not happen until new players are added? Um, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, no, I do expect these to improve. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this uh, on the broadcast on Sunday and then wrote a little bit about, you know, with when the article I, I posted or the column I posted on Jazz. You know, I, I think between now and January 1st, when they take on Baylor, you know, what are some things that Iowa State, you know, they're 10 and 0, they're playing well, we don't want to take anything away from them, but what are some things, reasonably speaking, that they can start to maybe progress on? And, and I think, the execution of a lot of the things that were just mentioned in that question, you know, they've had troubles at times when they've been pressed and the other teams playing a little bit of desperation basketball, getting the ball over, getting the ball inbounded from the side out of bounds when you're trapped in the corner from the baseline out of bounds. And those are things that can take a little bit more time. You know, this team has really picked up defensively what these coaches are, are trying to do and execute very quickly. Offensively, when the play works well, they run their stuff. Like when TJ draws something up, they run it. I think the adjustments they need to make are okay. When they take away our initial, what are we trying to do? Those, those second and third reactions just kind of, and it's more than just one player making them the entire team has to see, Oh, they're trying to take this away. And then, that, then it becomes about kind of, I would call it like basketball instincts or offensive instincts, just kind of knowing where to, where to be and, and, and what's open and just kind of reading and making the plays. Those things don't ever improve as quickly as fans and, and analysts would all like, but those are things that I think Iowa state will improve upon throughout the season. And, and when we talk about how well they're going to do in the big 12, you know, and you're playing and you slug it out. You know, I saw there's like five teams averaging under 60 points a game defensively. There's going to be a lot of games that come down to a couple possessions for them. That to me is going to probably dictate how many games they're capable of winning in the big 12. And I think that the good news that everybody for everybody is those are things that you can improve upon in the season. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I think too, people have to remember they do have a freshman point guard, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so he's obviously been making his adjustment to college basketball and an easy way to try and speed up a freshman point guard would be to put a press on it, you know, and try and make him make some decisions in, in scenarios like that, where he's under some pressure. Uh, I think too, you know, it's like really easy to sit and think like, man, why don't these guys, why aren't these guys better at this? This is a really easy thing to think. And like, why don't they practice this kind of stuff? But clearly they also have to practice a lot of other things and they've done a really good job of practicing a lot of those other things for them to be as good as they are defensively and for them to do some of the stuff that they do offensively. So it's, I'm not saying that they haven't practiced press break or anything like that, because obviously they have, they know what they're doing. I thought that they handled the press against Iowa better than I even expected them to. Uh, But I think you could see against Iowa that they had clearly spent time on that in, in advance of the game. And I imagine that most of the time in the off or in in the preseason lead up to the season, they probably didn't spend a ton of time preparing for that kind of stuff. And that's just like, I mean, that's just how the season kind of goes. You don't need to do that until it's like, okay, now we really need to nail down and and get to work on this kind of thing to know exactly how we want to handle this scenario. And I think it's also important to point out Baylor, Kansas, every other team in the big 12, no matter how good they're playing right now, they have things between now and March that they need to improve on and that they will improve on. And I think a lot of times 
as fans, we want to kind of project and, and have kind of something locked in our head. Like here's the minimum amount of games that we're going to win in the big 12. But the truth of the matter is how well you perform in the big 12, how many games you win will be dictated by which teams improve the most between now and March. And that's something that is a day by day process. And I think when TJ's talking about building habits and, you know, they've laid a great foundation. Now we're starting to talk about second and third degree things, uh, baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, press break, those sorts of things. So they're, they're in a good spot. Um, they're in a spot that a lot of the other teams in the big 12 are in as well. Yeah. And I think too, like the baseline out of bounds thing, it's like you, I think I like how you say you're getting into the second and third elements of it, because obviously the first element is, okay, this is the action we want to run on baseline out of bounds. Okay. You can get through that. And people be kind of kind of become, okay, I go from this spot to this spot. This is my job on this play, but there's no like other element of it. It's like, okay, I'm going to go here. And if it doesn't work, okay, well now what do we do? The second element is the, now what do we do? You know, yep. when do we break off the play? When is it like, okay, I'm just going to run back and you just throw it in the backcourt and we'll go and grab it. And we'll just start that way and not like try and get a shot out of it. Well, and, and in the first 10 games or the first, you know, six games, let's say a lot of your looks are unscouted. So the first option's there. Well, now that you're, you know, you're, you're starting to put more stuff on film and as we get into big 12 play, the scouting will only ratchet up. So now you're not, a lot of times you don't start to, you know, what's the saying, uh, invention or necessity and invention. There's a saying there. I forget what it is off the top of my head, but they're being forced to. So now you start to go through those and you stumble through them the first time, but you'll, I think you'll start to see guys say, okay, I remember the last time we ran this and they tried to take away this action here's the counter to this. And I'm sure TJ and those guys are breaking that down um, in the film room. All right. This one's from Stu clone on the cyclone fanatic forums. What is a realistic conference record goal for this squad? Um, man, it's hard for me to say anything too incredibly lofty uh, because this team still did go. Well, not this team, not these specific guys. This the program, program, the Iowa state men's program, basketball program. Yeah. Did go. zero and 18 last year in the league. Uh, I think they will be considerably better than that. But I, I still think that even after a 10-0 start, hopefully 12-0 start, it would be really hard to be too incredibly upset if they went 500 and went 9-9. It's my opinion. That would be, they would be a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament probably and have a legitimate shot to go to the Sweet 16. I mean, that, yeah. It, I think, look, I don't know Iowa, the ins and outs at Iowa State football, but I've watched a little bit. I've talked to you. I've talked to Chris about it. You know, think about it like this. Last year, the, they had a handful of games that came down to a possession or two, and they, the ball bounced their way. They executed, and they're playing in the Big 12 championship game, right? This year, a couple of those, t- those close games, and they, you know, they lose by a, a three or a seven, whatever. And it's, I think that's how it's going to be for this team. There's going to be a lot of games that come down to the last two, three minutes of a game or a handful of possessions. And it's going to be about how well do they execute on both ends of the floor in winning time. And if it goes well, I mean, yeah, they might go over 500. And if they struggle to execute in those spots, they still can win games. But, it, you know, they might not win as many games as we th- we think sitting here 10 games into the season undefeated. And so I think that that's going to be kind of the the fun part of following this team. There is not a game on their schedule with the way they're currently playing that they can't go in and compete and give a team a game. I expect them to be in a lot of games, you know, but the, that's when I talk about making those improvements between now and March, that's going to answer that question. And it's hard to, that's hard, hard thing to project, I think as a, a fan or an analyst. Absolutely. Um, this one comes from JM for on the forums. 
So I assume that you have seen the the gif of yourself uh, with Melvin Edgem, where I don't even know what you're doing. You're wiggling around. <laughs> you're wiggling your body. I don't know if you're dancing. Like you're, it appears as though you're celebrating something. He wants yep. the backstory on that moment. What what was that? Where, uh, like I said, it looks like you're celebrating something that Melvin had just done. So there really isn't much of a backstory. Uh, Melvin and I were really good friends. Um, at that point in time, he was a freshman, so we were still getting to know one another. But we we always worked out together, played a lot of you know video games, that sort of thing together. And uh, yeah, I believe DG hit him on a, you know, trail dunk. And it was a, we'd kind of just gone on a big run. And, you know, this is why I, as I get older, I just don't even try to dance or do anything with rhythm anymore because uh, I have none. And uh, I just kind of went up and just gave him a wiggle. And uh, it just kind of took on a, I guess, a life of itself. But there really is no like pre-planned. I'm not, uh, I don't know, well-coordinated enough to have anything pre-planned to be quite honest. (laughs) You weren't the guy that had a secret handshake or anything like that. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like, uh, like Russell Westbrook, the handshakes he used to do with Cameron Payne, where they'd have a different one for every game. And they were all so incredibly intricate. You weren't those, that kind of guy. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I I wish I had a better story, but uh, there, there really wasn't much to it. It just, it happened. It was a big run. And I think what happened in that game, because there was a few things that I did in that game that were maybe a little out of character for me, but you know, it's a rivalry game going into that game. I didn't really fully understand the Iowa, Iowa state rivalry. And then you go into Carver Hawkeye arena in a hotly contested game. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I always enjoyed kind of like playing into that a little bit. So I think, you know, the, the rivalry just started kind of the energy of it just kind of started going and, you know, we were, we were on a run there and it just kind of happened. Yeah. I was trying to figure out who you guys were playing. Uh, Cause it, it, I mean, obviously you guys are wearing the Cardinal uniform. So it's, I, and it, I could, I narrowed it down to, it was either at, at Iowa or at, uh, at the Octagon down in Manhattan, but I, I wasn't hundred percent sure. So that makes more sense knowing that it's Iowa. Um, all right, here's the next one from Twitter. Uh, this is from Heath Hunter. It seems as it, okay, this is kind of, okay. That's actually the same question. Basically that was about inbounds place. <laughs> uh, man, everybody's worried about the inbounds plays execution. We're we're digging deep here. Um, luxuries of being 10 and 0, right? Yeah. No kidding. Uh, this one's from Charlie Washburn. Uh, I noticed the starting five are not the group on the floor during some of the most important moments, especially in the second half slash closing out games. Is that more about TJ's trust in grill and jazz to make the right play versus Enaruna and Kalsher? Um, Go ahead if you want us to take it. No. Yeah. I mean, I think that that can probably be a big piece of it is sometimes you just want the guy that you trust the most to go out and make the right play not necessarily the flashy one you know and i don't think that that means that tj doesn't trust gabe or doesn't trust tristan to go out and do the right things but it's if you obviously he has a ton of trust in caleb grill caleb grill has played a lot of minutes for tj Otzelberger already in his career and we've seen what jazz has been able to do so far this season sometimes you know your top your best five for when the you know it's nut cutting time and it's time to really get to dig deep and, and get something done. Sometimes your best five isn't necessarily the five that start the game. It's the five that you just feel the most comfortable with on the floor at one time at one time. Yeah. And I think the one game that comes to mind that was a pretty close game towards the end was Creighton. And obviously Caleb had a, a big night that night. So, you know, it makes sense that he would be on the floor, you know, when it comes to be winning time, I think, 
matchups will be a big part of that. I think who's playing well in that particular game will be a big part of it. Um, you know, and, and I think for jazz, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because he just does, there really isn't anything he's not doing right now. It, it, I think the argument could be made. They need to throw more on him, you know, more responsibility on him. He's playing that well, but um, you know, there's been nights where Anarun has had it going. Uh, you know, George is going to, because of what they task him with doing, protecting the rim um, and the offensive rebounding, there might be some nights where he's in foul trouble or fouled out and they might play Anaruna and jazz together. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, you know, there, there's been nights where um, Gabe's had it going. And I think on those nights, you'll see him in there coming down the stretch too. And, and don't be surprised if they don't play some small ball against certain teams too, where um, they put Brockington at the four and maybe jazz at the five and, you know, really try to space the floor with some shooting around, uh, you know, their primary playmakers. I think at the end of the day too, if Gabe Kalsher is really on one day and he's got 30 points in a game, he's going to be in there if it really comes down to it. You know, sometimes yeah. I, I think TJ does a good, t- a good job of sometimes it's just about feel of does a guy have it that night or does a guy not have it that night? And yep. if a guy doesn't have it that night, sometimes the best thing for them to do when it's really time to end the game is for them to not be in the game, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Cause you've got, I mean, I think they've had, Rob Jones, I believe, had nine one game. So they've just about everybody on this team has had double digits. Trey mm-hmm. Jackson, I don't know if he's gotten to double digits, but there's been many games where he's coming in and whether it's been for five or 15 minutes, giving them great minutes. So on one hand, you don't know. Last game, it was jazz. I mean, it's kind of been a different guy every night. And then I think from an analyst and a coach's standpoint, you'd like to maybe have a little bit more consistent contributions offensively from guys too. And hopefully that will start to kind of take itself and in in evolve here as we get into, you know, game 11 through 20. Um, so it's, you know, it's hard to scout. You don't know who's going to take it away, but as a fan or as a, a coach, it's like, well, you know, we're going to have to just be flexible to who we play tonight based off of who's got it going. So. All right. This one's from Catherine Lucas on Twitter. Uh, I have a feeling I know how you're going to react to this question, but it's, so I'm going to kind of revise it. Uh, what about the lack of filling the co- in the cone on a cone, a clone cone? Also, is it allowable to live dangerously and get a clone cone without the dish? So my first question to you, Scott, have you ever even had a clone cone in your life? I, I have not. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and that was kind of my thing with it. I figured that you probably hadn't. And I, I, I don't think I've even had a clone cone. Is that ice cream or is that I, the, I, like the word that's the ice and they put the Kool-Aid on it? No. Yeah. That's ice cream. It's just okay. vanilla ice cream that's colored cardinal and gold. And that's the only thing that makes it a clone cone. So absolutely, that needs to be filled uncomfortably full. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, it is. That's why you need a dish. That's I mean, I, if you're well, I, I was just going to say. I mean, if you're you know savvy and you know what you're doing and you want to live dangerously with no dish, I mean, by all means, I'm all about showing off when you can. You got to flex on them when you get the opportunity, man. You got to flex on them. <laughs> Call your number and, and, and dial it up. Shoot your shot. Uh, this one's from Scotty P on the, on the forums. Uh, does Scotty see Jazz finding his way into a starting role this season? That's a good question. I, so there are certain guys who are really good at coming off the bench. I played with Tyrus McGee. And Tyrus McGee was like, like he was good enough to start, no question, but he also was perfect at coming off the bench because he just, he had a temperament where it took him about all of 10 seconds to be in game flow. And like, for me, I wasn't great at that. I struggled with that. When I came off the bench, the first half of my sophomore year, 
you know, some games I would get right into a flow, others I wouldn't. So I think Jazz, because he's such a smart, savvy player, is great at coming off the bench and is like immediately in the game flow. And I think Tristan has more in his tank that he can give this team offensively. And I think he's still trying to kind of search and find that rhythm. So I guess off the cuff, I would say probably, I would probably keep Jazz coming off the bench, but you know, there does come a point in time where what's he ranked like in the top 15, as far as efficiency right now in the, the entire country. So, you know, I'm not going to question it if all of a sudden he's in the starting lineup, but it, to me, there are certain guys that really have a knack for knowing how to come off the bench. And I think that's actually very valuable and underrated having that as a coach. And I think too, there are guys that you almost need them in the starting lineup because you need to get them engaged in the game right away. And Absolutely. I think, you can get that vibe a little bit from Tristan. It seems like they will try and be proactive about getting him involved in the offense early on to make it. And it's like, some people are just that way where it's like, man, you got to get him a shot right away just so that they can settle in, you know, get in that game flow. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably part of that, but um, I I think that that'll probably be a big piece of it uh, uh, moving forward for him. Don't be surprised um, if Jazz starts playing like 30 minutes a game at some point in time with how well he's playing. You know, um, even coming off the bench. I mean, he's he's been phenomenal all year. Yeah, I mean, there. it's just like when um, when Monte came in, you know, obviously they had DeAndre Kane, and DeAndre Kane was really good. It reached a point where Fred literally said, I can't afford to not have the kid on the floor, you know? <laughs> and, if, right. and the way that Jazz is playing right now, if he continues to play this way, you eventually reach a point where it's like, I can't afford to not have the kid out there, you know? And that's obviously a lot of credit to the kid for, for doing all the right things. And, um, and those things just kind of tend to work themselves out as the season goes along. Uh, this is from Andrew on Twitter. Obviously no one could have predicted a potential top 10 matchup with Baylor with students on break for that game. Do you think that it will impact the home court advantage or will something be done to get more students to the game? Uh, well, if anything's going to be done to get more students to the game, I think that, they probably need to start working on that like today, considering that game is in two weeks. Um, I don't think it'll be a big issue though. I mean, people are going to show out, show up and show out, especially if it's a top 10 matchup, I would think that I would be shocked if that game is not sold out, if it isn't already. I agree. I I think that uh, there's so much excitement around this team. I mean, how long have we been waiting to have a top 10 square off, you know, of assuming Iowa state wins its next two games and jumps another spot or two in the polls. But I mean, Iowa state's been waiting for this for years. So I I think we're all pleasantly surprised at how quickly it's come back. And yeah, I would be, I mean, those guys were, were had packed the Iowa game. And I would think that this would be very similar as far as, uh, um, that game. And I, I think Iowa state's going to be really tough to play in big 12 play, uh, and at Hilton, uh, be salty man on the forums asks, okay, I don't, I don't know how, how well you're going to be answer that, be able to answer this question, just knowing, you know, how you followed the program here in recent years, but who are the top 10 transfers that ISU has ever had? And how does Isaiah Brockington compare to them? Uh, to do the top 10 would take a long time. Uh, that's a lot of guys to have to list. But, I mean, I think Isaiah has been – he would be in the category, I think, with, you know, guys like – at least so far. Obviously, it's only been 10 games. But, it, you know, Mariel Shayok and DeAndre, Royce White. Like, he's been that kind of player for them so far. And if you can continue that, I mean, he's got – I think he has every opportunity to be in the same – 
conversation with all of those names that you would throw out there as being the best transfer that Iowa State's ever had. He continues to play the way that he is, and Iowa State wins, let's say, 50% of their games in the Big 12 play. I don't see any way he's not in consideration for first-team all-conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been on both ends of the floor, rebounding, defense, scoring. He's been the, the whole package. So I think it, it is hard to sometimes compare just because, I don't know, it's guys are such different players, you know what I mean? But as far, I mean, he is the heartbeat of this team. He is their most valuable player. Um, it, they, they need a big performance out of him night in and night out in big 12 play. So I, he's as valuable to this team as any transfer that we've probably had in this program. I mean, he's Royce was as valuable as probably any pro, any player as well. And I think he's kind of getting into that conversation of being that critical for this team. I, I think they would struggle to win a ton of games in big 12 play without him on the floor. I think that Isaiah is the closest guy I've seen since I've been covering the team to what Deandre brought to the, to the table, as far as being a leader and being that it, like you said, heart and soul of the, of the team. I mean, that team really kind of had its mentality modeled off of what Deandre brought to the, to the fold. I think that you can see that a lot with, with what Isaiah has done so far. And I mean, you know, I think Mariel was really, really good too. And obviously there's only been a handful of those guys of all the transfers Iowa State's taken in the last 10 years, you know, more than well over 20, I'm sure. Uh, there's only a few of them that have been first team all conference. So it's like, if you can do that, then you're already in pretty rare air at that point. Yeah. And I think it's such a luxury for TJ when your best player is just a ex- sets the example and the tone every day just makes coaching so much easier. And I think that that's something that, you know, he's playing great basketball. His numbers are great, but his intangibles are as impressive, if not more impressive. And that just kind of sets the tone for everybody else. As far as, you know, they, they feel like they have to fall in line and match that. And I think we've seen that for 10 games now. Absolutely. Um, From clone fan 96 on the forums, explain the defensive funneling that they're doing. I don't think I've ever seen anyone else use it or deploy it the way that they are. When on the sidelines, it looks like they are on the sideline. It looks like they're almost daring teams to go towards the baseline or even towards the basket and not back over the top. Well, if it looks like they're daring them towards to go towards the baseline, it's because they are. That's uh, exactly what they're trying to do. Um, I mean, the reason they do that is because they'll send those doubles towards the baseline and then trap people right there in the corner. It, I don't know that there's really any. I don't. I think that's the simple answer. I'm sure that there's a more you know complex way to to put it, but that's basically yeah. they they are doing that because that's what exactly what they're trying to do is funnel people towards that short corner so they can trap there and then get people into scramble situations offensively. Yeah, they're they're almost like a press team in their half court, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they 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 try to bait you into throwing it down there. They'll also you know if you want to throw it to the guy in the post at 15 feet, they look at those as advantageous opportunities to trap and create a turnover and turn that into points. And that's been a big part of their offense all year. I think what's impressive is their ability to scramble out of it when it breaks down and and cover for each other and still contest shots. Um, as has been, has really jumped out and been impressive to me. And that's kind of like the, when I talk about basketball instincts, that's, that's basketball instincts. That's not something that TJ, like they have a certain way it's supposed to go, but there's a lot of times it doesn't go that way and they're making it work regardless. And I think that's a big reason why they've been so successful on that end of the core. And I think a lot of those kinds of things, it's like with offensive line play, 
when you get used to playing with each other and it everybody's playing on a string kind of That's a great and analogy and it's all when one person moves here i move here and everybody understands that and you all know exactly how someone is going to move into a different or, or a particular situation like that's what i think you see from them because when they get into those situations very rarely do you ever see them look like they're scrambling like someone doesn't know what they're supposed to do and that's what i think is so impressive is that everyone has a clear understanding of what they're supposed to do what their job is and in every scenario okay i need to be right here and if that guy's not going to get where he needs to get then i need to get to there you know and that's oh yeah it's hard to instill that kind of thing especially in the short amount of time that they've done it with i mean with how little experience these guys had playing together well, and then just add in the fact that I got to believe they've got to be one of the best charge taking teams in the country. I mean, it seems like every game they're taking a minimum of two. Um, so to trap out of that, create all the steals, but then also be able to scramble and, and, and take away drives by charges. I mean, it's, it's really jumped out. I mean, I, I, I knew this team would be good defensively. I, I will say I did not quite think they would be this advanced in their, their rotations and all these little kind of, intricacies of, of the defensive end of the floor, which, you know, TJ gets a lot of credit, but I think the assistants have got to have a lot of credit too. I know Kyle green came from you and I, um, I was very impressed with, uh, you know, both D I played with D or for D Rob, and he's always been very impressive to me. And Jared Blount was very impressive to me when I got to, you know, kind of see him interact with the team out in New York. So and kudos to those assistant coaches too. They're doing a great job. What's your favorite basketball sneaker of all time. It's from Greg Mackey, 32 on Twitter. Yeah, you know, I would say the, the Jordan 12s. Okay. That's uh, my favorite <clears throat> sneaker I ever, ever played in. How about you? Did you wear those at Iowa State? I think I did for one game when we played Duke the year they won the national title. And that game just went awful. So <laughs> I decided to put those back in the closet and uh, just put the Nikes back on. Was that the game at the United Center? Yeah. That's the, okay. That's the Chris Colvin game, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. I I thought so. Um, man, what's my favorite basketball sneaker? Dude, I, it's basic. I always love to play in the hyper dunks. Like it, that was what I played in my senior year of high school. Uh, like the first edition of the hyper dunks. And then, um, when I was, when I played in college, I had like seven different pairs of the Nike hiker hyper dunks because they, they were cheaper. So they would wear out faster and you played so much ball. Like I would wear through the, uh, insoles in them and my feet would basically be rubbing up against the rubber. So I would go through (laughs) pair after pair after pair. And I remember when we could get team shoes, like I finally, I'd been waiting forever to be able to get team shoes. And then I ordered three pairs of them from our team shoes because it was one, it was impossible to find them in my size. And then two, uh, they were a lot cheaper and I knew that I was going to need a lot of them. (laughs) So that would probably be my favorite, but I like the, I've played in the Kyrie's recently too. And I like those ones. Um, all right. This is from, uh, man, everybody wants to know about Trey King. Uh, okay. This is from icy tornado bird. Uh, what other player does Al Jazz Coons remind you of? He seems like a pretty unique player. Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought of a player comp for him. Uh, anybody come to mind for you? Um, man, no, because it just is, I I don't, he's just like such a, because he doesn't do anything like 
that like jumps out at you that you would sit here and say like, man, he's an elite shooter. He's an elite rebounder. He's an elite. And he just like is, is good at everything, you know, like average to good at everything to where then when you combine all of those things, you get a really good player, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, so I'll throw out the guy that most reminds me of him, although because he hasn't had the opportunities offensively to do what the guy I'll mention did when he was a senior at Wisconsin, um, you know, it's, I, I don't want to put uh, too big of shoes on him, but there was a guy at Wisconsin that played there when I was growing up named Mike Wilkinson, who was an all big 10 player, I think his senior year and had a super successful career over in Russia. And, you know, Mike was very skilled, but again, and I've said this about jazz all year and it's such a luxury to have this for in a player. Like they just constantly make winning plays and it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, there's been games that jazz has only gotten to shoot three or four times, but still had a big impact on the game, whether it's taking charges or tipping rebounds to teammates, uh, chasing down loose balls. So that would be, I guess, a guy that he reminds me of for that reason. And you know, hopefully jazz gets a few more opportunities to, to, to do some more things on the offensive end. Cause when you're shooting 60% from the field and 50 from the three, you're not shooting enough. You need to be shooting enough shots to be down. Like where you're shooting 50% from the field and 40% from the three It's counterintuitive as that maybe sounds, uh, when you're shooting that good, you need more shots. Right. Someone I think I would maybe throw out there is, uh, and he's not as big as this guy was, but Matt Howard who played at Butler. He was one of those guys that was just like, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he was really good at everything. And he just went out there and, and obviously they won a ton of games when he was on the team, you know? So it's like, that's the kind of guy that I would say it's like, they're not necessarily the same kind of player, but it's like, that's the mold that I see. I think that's a great, uh, great comparison. Um, all right. Andrew Evans on Twitter says what player not t- named Tyrese Hunter. Do you see making a significant improvement between now and the end of the season? I'd say Tristan and Aruna would fit into that category. That's the guy I would hope for. I, I think that he's a guy that they can run some offense through, you know, uh, they they've been having a little bit of an issue when they throw the ball to the high post and other teams are just face guarding their perimeter players and kind of just sticking their bigs there basically daring them to drive the ball and play one-on-one. And I think he's the guy that has a little bit of juice off the bounce and, and could make teams pay for that. We've seen him start to knock down a couple of perimeter shots, which, you know, I'm not saying that's going to be the bread and butter of his game, but if he can be a guy as that trail four, or, you know, kind of play inside out and pull bigs away from the basket. I mean, that could be very valuable to open up more space for your primary playmakers to, to drive the ball. So I'm with you on that. I, I think he's got a lot of talent and I think he's just, he's finding his way and, and hopefully, you know, he starts to really kind of, you know, improve in leaps and bounds here. And as we get into conference play. All right. From Reseus J on the, on, uh, on the forums, how does a basketball team evolve from five players on the court playing hard to five players on the court playing hard together? Is it mindset, accountability, practice tactics, or even a mix of these? then what do you think coach Otz's recipe has been for getting us to this level of playing as a team? I would say it's all of those things there. I don't think it's any one factor. Um, I, I, I think the biggest thing is and and, and TJ, I think done a really good job of, of, of getting these guys and demanding he's demanded this from them from day one. So they don't know anything else. This is all that they've known under the TJ regime. And, you know, they eat together every day. They're, they're just a very tight knit bunch. And I think 
I picked up when I was on in New York, like there's a few guys that mentioned it when I was doing some post-game interviews. Like it's very, they're very aware of how poorly they were predicted to play. And I think they've really rallied around that and said like, you know, this isn't going to be any about any one of us guys, this, but we are like, F this, like we're, we're, we're better than that. We're not some like laughing stock of the big 12. And, you know, right now today, they're the 11th ranked team in the country. I think they've really rallied around that. And I think that that can be kind of a galvanizing thing of bringing guys together and getting people to set aside whatever personal things that they wanted to accomplish to just be like, no, like we're, we're going to do this together and we're going to kind of be a, a band of brothers. And, and they've really done the, a good job of that. And I think TJ's just great at kind of knowing what buttons to push with what guys and, and, and kind of keeping this team, you know, burning hot. All right. Carvers for math on the forums asks, which of our transfers is most worthy to take up Scotty's thug life banner? <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't even know I had one. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have an answer for that question. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I can't believe that I had one. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. I, someone actually later on in this thread, I think, asked if you, if your wife knows that you, uh, your nickname is Thug Life. So apparently, you didn't even know that that's your nickname. But I, wow. I've even heard that before. I'd heard Scotty Wiggles, and, and obviously, I think that maybe came from the Iowa game. Uh, man, I, I feel like I've got to be one of the least intimidating. Uh, people to interact with us, especially like physically, you know, I'm not uh, on the TJ Otzelberger bicep curl uh, regiment. You know, I'm, I, I can't, I don't think people are necessarily intimidated by me when they, when they run into me, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who on this team would, would wear that hat. Any it's, thoughts? It, I have no idea. I think it's even funnier that you didn't know that that's what people said. That must, that, that must just be a Cyclone Fanatic Forums deep cut, man, from way back so in the day. One thing that's been real, I've really been blown away at how much fun this has been to like be a part of the media component of it. Because I can tell you as a player, nobody paid less attention to what the media was saying. Like, I, they could have said the nastiest things about me. I would have not had a clue. Never heard the thug life thing, um, but uh, hey, I guess uh, I, I'll, 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 it'll, it's part of my past. I'll wear it. That's, that's hilarious. Uh, all right. This is from, uh, from my guy, Steve, on the forums. Um, Scott, you seem to thrive in a somewhat looser team environment, and now we're hearing lots about Coach Otts creating a more structured team environment, including early morning practices, breakfasts, and as you noted, even rigorous shoot-arounds, how would you have responded in a stricter environment? Would that have turned you off or maybe helped you be even better? Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely like to have fun in the context of like what was going on, but I I think the guys that I played for, I think TJ would say this, I, I don't think anybody probably put more work in and was more regimented outside of practice than I was. I mean, I definitely wasn't the most physically gifted or the most talented player on the team, but you know, I kind of hung my hat on, I mean, I was just going to try to outwork everybody and outwill everybody. So I love that about this team. Um, I think that I would have really enjoyed that part, that piece of it. And, and, you know, when I played, I tried to take guys to the gym with me and, and kind of help be a leader per se. And in, in that component of it. So, uh, I'm sure I still would have found some ways to have a little bit of fun and, you know, do some goofy things on the court, but, uh, all in all, I think I would have thrived playing for TJ. I would say it looks like these guys are having quite a bit of fun. 
oh, regardless gosh, yeah. of how much stricter it is. You know, I think that there's a there's some give and take there. Of it can be strict, yeah. but there's you got to have fun with it too. Still a game. Still, and I think TJ has fun with these guys too. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. When they step in between the lines and the game's going on, it's it's business. But TJ seems way more intense than what I think he actually is. Like from a public (laughs) perception, and I, I mean, I don't even know. You know, I just know TJ obviously in a professional setting. But like, even in the moments when the cameras aren't on, you can tell that he is someone who likes to have fun. And I don't know that fans have probably gotten to see that as much just because of the circumstances of COVID and like all that kind of stuff, it just would be hard. And once like people can be around him, I think they'll see that he is a a lot more fun than what they maybe realize he is. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, I kind of was this way too. Like if you're working hard and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're winning games, like you're going to have fun, but yeah, I mean, if you're getting your butt kicked or you're not, you know, holding up your end of the bargain, I mean, no, he's not going to be cracking jokes and laughing, which neither are any of the players, but I think that's probably, I mean, it was that way even when Fred was there. Fred was maybe a little bit more laid back in the practice setting. But, I mean, if we played bad or things weren't going the right way, like, I mean, Fred would still get after us. Um, all right. From Morris to on the forums, it is almost like this team tries to shrink the court into halves. We often see Hunter play the middle of the arc, not allowing his opponent to dribble, dribble the ball slash pass the ball to the other half of the court. What are they trying to do here? Uh I mean, I think that they answered their own question by in the middle of asking their question. They're trying to shrink, to shrink the floor, especially as teams space it out more and more. The three-point line has obviously moved further and further back. It There's more space out there, and the more space you have, the easier it is to run your offense. I think they're trying to just make it where you have less room to operate. You know, if you have more room to operate, it's easier to to bottle people up. That's just, I, I think it's, like, again, no a matter way what, of explaining it defense somebody is trying to play and no matter what offense somebody is trying to play the more the ball goes from one side of the court to the other and the faster the more advantage it's going to be for the offense and the better chance you're going to give the defense to break down so i they're they're just trying to stop the ball from going from one side of the court to the other and tyrese has been phenomenal at that which is a big part of why they haven't had too many breakdowns and that's why you know even when uh when teams play zone against them the thing that I want to see as much as anything is not is no early shots on the or shots on the shot clock, and you got to get the ball rotating from side to side to force the defense to move because that's when you're able to create the open looks and get people into scramble situations. But you have to make the defense, especially if you're playing a zone like what a lot of teams have done, you have to make it move and make people move from their spot. If the ball goes from one side of the court to the other a couple of times, like for this team. I don't care how many threes they shoot so long as the ball gets into the middle of the paint and comes out inside out. I think this team will get itself into trouble, especially as we get into these tight games. When they're, when you're shooting threes and the defense has not had a chance to break down, you're not going to shoot a great percentage. It's going to, they're all of their defenders are in place to rebound and get out on the fast break. So their, their break offense is going to be better. Your offensive rebounding percentage is going to be worse because none of your guys are expecting the shot. So, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with getting the ball moved, getting it inside and moving it out. Uh, and I think that that's another piece that they can improve on offensively is trying to maybe eliminate, especially early in games. I think that they've done a good job as the game is worn off of getting get worn on is getting away from that. But there's been a few games in the first four to five minutes where there's been a couple of quick threes out of rhythm. And those are the sorts of ones that you maybe want to try to eliminate as you get you know into these last two games of uh, non-conference playing into conference play. Cyclone Spiker 33 on the forums asks, 
what is your favorite student-made sign that was ever brought into Hilton during one of your games? I don't even, gosh, I'm old. I don't even remember. Uh, I don't remember the student signs to be honest with you. Sorry. Yeah. I wish I had one. Uh, there was one that somebody made of, and it was had something to do with me. And I remember my teammates pointed it out and it was pretty funny. I can't remember what it, what it said though. Man, I think uh, people are finding out that you didn't pay enough attention, pay near as much attention to all the things that they did or they do at the games. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been, that's why this has been so much fun to kind of experience this whole process right. from a completely different perspective. Cause when you're playing, like you're pretty locked into what you're doing. <laughs> um, and it's just, yeah, that just isn't something that I really dawned on me too much. Even for me, dude, like being like, I obviously have not played in Hilton, but like being sitting at the media table and stuff like that. I don't even remember that many signs. Really. The only one that I remember is the big George that was, became so synonymous with the student section during his career and then had the story with um, where the sign was lost and they had to find it again. And now it's at Wallabies and it was like a whole became a whole thing. Uh, (laughs) That's like the only one that I remember. And it was all because of the story, the backstory that was behind getting it back so that it would be in the arena on Georgia's senior night. Actually, now that you say this, I remember somebody made this. I don't, I have no idea who made this. They made a cutout of the, they, they cropped Melvin and I's face onto Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes' face from White Men Can't Jump. And a couple of my college friends actually had t-shirts made. I think they had like 50 t-shirts made and sold them. That, that was probably my favorite. Oh my God. There, there. Every once in a while, some one of I'll run into somebody that has one, and they will still pull it out and show it to me. I know the Cyclone Fanatic merch guy, Mike Martz, is listening right now. Mike, we need a remake of those shirts. That is phenomenal. That's outstanding. Uh, man, I can't believe you didn't think of that one right away. That's just, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, <laughs> all right, from Dace Rop on the forums, which type of peanut butter is superior, crunchy or smooth? Crunchy. Okay. Did you, did you or any teammates have any unique pregame mannerisms or routines? I mean, my biggest thing was I got there really early and went in and worked on what I wanted to work on before anybody else showed up that way, as everybody kind of funneled in, I had my work in and would just kind of focus on stretching and just spend some time sitting on the side and just kind of taking it in and just kind of focusing myself mentally. But I can't think of like any, you know, goofy or, you know, crazy habits that I saw anybody have. I mean, a lot of it's just people probably got headphones on and they're listening to the songs that kind of get them going, but uh, nothing out of the ordinary that I can think of. Who's the best, biggest trash talker you ever played against? Oh, that's a good one. Well, for my teammate, the guy that I would talk the most trash with was Melvin. Melvin and I were, would constantly uh, go back and forth in a, in a fun way. Um, I don't really think anybody, there's nobody that stands out. I mean, I, Oklahoma state, there, there was something about playing at Oklahoma state and the games would get a little bit chippy down there and there would be some talking going on. It wasn't from any one, actually Travis Ford would sometimes yell things from the sideline, like kind of like trying to like get in your head when you were at Oklahoma state. And then some of the players would kind of do some stuff too. And, they had that annoying cowboy that would always shoot that stupid gun at the end of the game. But uh, 
that's probably the the environment where the most trash talking happened. But uh, I guess I would say Travis Ford stands out just because you don't really think of a coach saying things from the sideline too often. Dude, that's hilarious. <laughs> like what? Have you ever counted that again? No. Yeah. That, no, that, I mean, that, yeah, that was unique to him. I mean, it, it, again, it wasn't anything like, uh, like egregious or egregious or like yeah. inappropriate or anything like that. But just like, I mean, you're not really expecting a coach to, you know, like say, say something anything. To you, yeah. yeah. Um, while the, the game was, yeah, that, that, so that would be unique. I think that's funny. Uh, obviously, I mean, Travis Ford was a really good player too. I can't right. remember. Yeah. So, and, that, you know, feisty and his teams were feisty. And that was just, that was a difficult spot to play. I don't know right. why. I, 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 none of the teams I ever played on that played there I ever played well there. Okay. Well, I guess that's going to answer this next question from BC clone. Are there any arenas slash towns that were like, man, I dislike going there either being yes. the facilities, the travel or anything that made you dislike the trip to that place? Oklahoma state in Texas tech. When, when we played Texas tech there, they were, they were bad. And, and they nobody wants these, to go to Lubbock, Texas either. They had these basketballs that were like, it was like playing like a, when you were a kid, you know, and you get that like inside outside ball. I mean, the ball was just super slick and was it the under armor ones? Yeah. I, I was not. Oh, yeah. That was a big controversy a handful of years ago that they were using the under armor balls. I think yeah, they still I was do. Not, a, not a fan of, of that. Man. Yeah. That, I think that was, was that the, 14, 15 team. I can't remember which one it was, but there was one year where it became a whole thing about the Under Armour basketballs and how, the, how bad that they were and how everybody yeah. was complaining about how bad the Under Armour balls were. Um, all right. Uh, this one kind of combines with another question that we got. Basically, it's about Gabe and his an inconsistency shooting. Mm -hmm. How do you make an inconsistent shooter more consistent? The biggest mistake I see shooters make, and I, I did, I ran through this sometimes when I get into shooting slumps as well. They shoot too many threes in practice. So they practice, you know, you, cause you're practicing game shots, right? And like 90% of your shots are from 17 feet and out, whether it's a mid range or the three. And when that happens, you can kind of get in a habit where you either shoot a flatter shot or you start to catapult the ball instead of like at the top of your shot, really snapping your fingers through, you know, you watch any great shooter. I mean, it's like a, a quarterback that can really spin it or a pitcher that can, you know, they're just got great command. Like when the ball leaves their fingertips, it's just, there's such a snap to it. So I think the biggest thing that you can do if you're struggling with your touch and you're struggling with the consistency of your shot is practice a lot of shots from eight to 12 feet at game speed off the dribble, off of catch and shoots. And what that forces you to do is you have to extend your arm fully and snap your wrist and shoot the same shot. And it's, it's maybe a little bit like in golf, right? Like you start, you work around the greens to begin, then you start your, your chips, then your 50 yard shots, your hundred yard shots, instead of just going to the bag and pulling the driver out every time, you know, that is, is fun, but sometimes it can kind of jack up your, your touch around the basket. And I think that that's the biggest thing I see when I see shooters that struggle with consistency is they're not shooting enough shots around the basket, working on their touch. All right. This one's from G Mackey 32, and I'm not going to make you name names or anything like this, but this is a story that has been out there for a long time. Did Melvin really throw a ball at someone at practice? <laughs> Which practice? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, Melvin was a very strong-willed individual, even as a freshman. And I, I, I believe it might have been, the story maybe is from open gym. I think there was an open gym where he got into it with somebody. And I think he may have thrown, there was a few times where Melvin had to be calmed down, but uh, you know, he, he, he got it harnessed in pretty quick and, and was aiming his intensity in the right direction. But I mean, Melvin was one of my all-time favorite guys to go to the gym and play one-on-one with or play against an open gym and stuff because just ultimate competitor and, you know, when you're young, sometimes things boil over and those sorts of things happen. But he didn't. If I remember correctly, it's not like he, like, cheap-shotted the guy and drilled him in the face. I think he just threw it and it maybe, like, grazed his back or something like that. I'm glad you used the word competitor because I think he's one of the great competitors that I've ever seen at the college level. I mean, no, he just is favorites. Yeah. And he is a hell of a player too. When you have that competitiveness, Andrew, as good as he was, you get a pretty special type of player. Obviously he was a, he, he's great. And that's why he's still playing the game. Now I just saw something about him uh, going back to play. And I don't know if he was, if he's in Russia still or what he's doing now, but I saw that. I, said, Rudy, I, I talked to him a month or two ago. I think he's in Slovenia. Okay. This year. Now sometimes they'll get bought out in the middle of the season if they're playing well and go someplace somewhere else. But that's what I'd heard last. Man, I, I was going to ask you about this. Do you see the picture on Twitter the other day of your your guys, uh, Chris Babb and and Deontay Garrett yeah. uh, running? Dude, I want to I want to talk to Chris because I want to know what's going on with his hair, man. I didn't even hardly recognize him with uh, with his hair long like it is. It had me dying laughing, dude. But he's got the flow going. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no kidding. He looks like a hockey player. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was funny. Uh, all right, side card on the forums. Uh, what was it like playing and practicing with Royce White? A lot of fun. I mean, Royce was uh, just an incredible talent. Um, you know, a guy that you could run your offense with out of the low post, out of the high post. He could play the point and, you know, kind of dominate the game from any of three of those spots. It's really rare to have a guy that can, you know, there's – great players that, you know, dominate from other uh, high pick and roll or on the wing or on the low block, but to have somebody that can do kind of all those things, I just, it, I don't think teams really knew how to guard us. They didn't really know how to deal with him because no matter where you put him, he could either overpower you or outquick you. And, um, you know, as a, you know, my role on the team, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun because it, it definitely created some, some looks. It was hard to scout and um, easy to play off of as a player. From Sigmaopolis, who was the meanest MFer to ever guard you in college? Oh, that's a good one. There was a guy named Markel Brown from, I don't know if he was the meanest, but this guy was like freaky athletic. And I remember we were playing them and I got a step back on him. I thought it created like two yards of space. And I'm like thinking I'm getting this thing off. And he just comes out of nowhere and gets a fingertip on it. Those guys were always the toughest because, you know, if you put a littler guy on me, I was a pretty strong guard. A lot of times I could use my, my physicality on him. Or if you put a, a taller guy on me, uh, you know, I was quick enough to get looks off and stuff like that. He was tough. Cause he was, he was quick, he was bouncy and he was a lot longer than I was. So I would say he, he was probably the, the toughest guy that I, I, went against to try to get quality looks off of. All right. And then the last question that I'm going to do, uh, Tom on Twitter asks, if you could pick a Jersey to retire, who you're picking, I think that this is an easy one. They need to put number three up in the Raptors because I think Melvin is good enough to warrant that. And his senior year alone is, uh, is that good. And I think we're getting, man, I think we're probably only a couple more years here before he's going to have an opportunity to do that. And then obviously 
uh, 31 and 11 are going to be up there here before too long, too, for George and Monte. So I think those are the three easy ones. I still think Marcus Pfizer should probably be up there, but I understand the rules and why the why why he isn't. But uh, those are the ones that I would throw out there. It's, we need to get him up there sooner than later. It's we need to do it more like it, uh, like at North Carolina. You get your like shit. I think Harrison Barnes's jersey was damn near hanging up there by the time he even left. They'd already they'd already <laughs> hung it. He's still playing. His jersey's hanging upon in the his rafters. commitment. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. Like, man, we got to do something. We got to honor these guys. But I guess it makes it more fun when there's the time that passes and you can kind of reflect on it. But Scott, I think this might have been the most insightful Cyclone Fanatic mailbag podcast of all time. To be honest, you brought this out in our fans. Uh, the fans are the greatest, man. I it's been so much fun to get reconnected with them, and and I can't thank all the fans enough. I've had so many people reach out and just you know, welcome me back in. And, uh, you know, as a former player, it's a pretty special feeling. And it just, you remember why Hilton is such a special place to play your college career at. And I couldn't be more grateful to, to just be able to get to interact with them and, and, and hopefully, uh, bring something to the table, maybe some things that they're not accustomed to hearing about, uh, while the game is going on. Well, we appreciate you, man. We appreciate everybody that, uh, that sent in their questions and we will talk to you guys again next week, hopefully after few more cyclone wins uh, ahead of the Christmas holiday. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.